Welcome to week 13. The Rams are 8-3. and three. They are in first place, and they travel to face the Arizona Cardinals, second to two games against their division rival this season. With DeMarco Farr, J.B. Long, D., how are you? How's your week going? Good, man. I'm, I'm campaigning for the Pro Bowl. Can we get there? <laughs> how do you mean? I mean, as a broadcast team. Can we get there to the oh. Pro Bowl? Is that possible? I don't know. How's our fan vote looking right now? I don't now? know. I was going to ask you. Yeah. It, it might depend on the vote of our fellow broadcasters to send us. Oh, then we're, we're, we're hosts. Maybe, maybe yeah, it's not going to happen. Maybe we can get in as a replacement, but that would mean we're not going to the Super Bowl or someone else is injured, and I don't want either of those Well, things. being named as an alternate is not such a bad thing. <laughs> uh, several good candidates on the Rams roster yeah. and coming off a win over the Saints. Let's go big picture first. Kind of what's your takeaway from uh, that home victory over Drew Brees in New Orleans as it spins forward to the Cardinals next? I, I think it was huge. Uh, from a defensive perspective, and I know the, the defensive video ends with a touchdown by Drew Brees. That's the way that ended. And if not for Sammy Watkins, I mean, you probably have some heart palpitations towards the end of that game because Drew Brees got hot. But, you know, eight wins um, with five games to go, that is huge. Uh, there's a lot to improve. Every team outside of Philadelphia has a lot to improve upon, even New England. There's some things they can do better. But to get eight wins – with things to work on, with five more games to, to play, I think is, is is great. It's a great position to be in. Uh, it gives the team confidence, gives them a lift. Uh, it kind of backs up everything the coach has preached mm -hmm. because you're in position. You're right where you want to be. So uh, this is a good spot, but you have to keep improving. Ongoing skill development never ends. Uh, even going through the Super Bowl, you have to keep getting better. Per Elias, 2017, the first time in NFC history Five teams are eight and three or better. Eagles, Vikings, Rams, Saints, and Panthers. It's happened twice before in the AFC, but first time in the NFC. So as good as eight and three feels, we've said this before, not as much separation as you would have hoped for, given what you've put on paper so far. Yeah, it's the Olympics, man. I mean, you're about 50 meters down the 100-meter the, the dash, and you know the, the Usain Bolt hasn't started to pull away from you. Or at least you can say that's Philadelphia. But for the, the guys that are going for the silver and bronze, I mm -hmm. mean, it's packed. Um, you can't have a misstep. Don't look over your shoulder because they may be gaining. And guess what? They are. So um, this is fun. Um, I, I think, and this is why I brought up the Pro Bowl, I mean, when you look at the Rams roster, offense and defense and special teams, and look throughout the league, who would you rather have? Uh, who would you replace your guys with from other teams? Not that many, including your quarterback. It's been a long time since we've said that. So I, I think Jared Goff, uh, the team is going as Goff is going. Coming up on Rams All Access, we'll talk about the uh, news of the week, which was Chris Sims going at McVay and Goff and calling their tactics <laughs> using the comm system. Uh, cheating effectively, and we'll have their responses uh, to those accusations as well as DeMarco's. Uh, but first, the Rams have a chance to do something they have not done in far too long, and that is secure a winning season for the first time since 2003. DeMarco, you're uniquely equipped to address this milestone because you've been with the franchise since the glory days. You've rode out the downturn, mm -hmm. and now they're back. What would this mean? We all feel like it's going to happen eventually, but what would it mean for it to happen in Arizona Sunday? Uh, a snake shedding its skin. Um, I mean, you're, you're, you're changing as a person. You've effectively changed the culture. I mean, once you get to eight, I mean, you're almost there. When you get to nine, you've changed everything. You're, you're now out of that losing mentality, that losing culture. Your players, your coaches, and your fan base, your front office, everything changes. The way people talk about you, the way things are written about you, the way you practice, the way you carry yourself, the way kids look at you, which is something that we don't talk about a lot, but, I mean, you are role models, and kids will start to gravitate towards the winning teams because mm – -hmm. 
you're being pubbed more. So everything is magnified. Uh, there's also a downside to it. You can't sneak up on anybody anymore. You're everybody's big game. So when, when you set out to make a playoff football team or better, uh, we always talk about keep losing teams losing. Hold your own against the best. Well, guess which one you are now. Uh, guess how Bruce Arians is pumping his squad up to face you. So uh, there's there's good, and it's a lot of good to be in a winning team, but there's also some bad that comes with it. Um, next season, if you carry this out, you'll have the, uh, the I guess – the hardship of trying to figure out or navigate through more primetime games, which is rough on your body. So look at Seattle and the way that's taken a toll on them. So there's good and bad to every single thing, but I'd rather have this than the opposite. Are you surprised that that Eagles-Rams game was not flexed this week and that Sunday night football in the NFL opted to stay with the Steelers and the Ravens? Well, you said it, and I I go off what you said. We were looking at the uh, Monday night football, Baltimore. If Baltimore wins... They'll probably stay on primetime because the, the, the Steelers match up, and I get that. And you said a long time ago, right before one of these shows, Fox will probably protect Rams-Philadelphia. And they're smart, too. It's the I think it's the best game of the weekend. They fought hard to keep it and to put yeah. their A-team, Aikman and Buck, on it. Uh, it'll be a little bit warmer. It won't yeah. be under the lights necessarily. <laughs> uh, our normal schedule and maybe some uh, easier Mondays at work for the uh, home fans at the Coliseum. Yeah. Uh, meaningful games for the Rams this week, though, as we continue here on Rams All Access. Vikings 9-2 and at Falcons 7-4. and Eagles 10-1 and at Seahawks 7-4. and Philadelphia clinches the East with a win or a tie. Ooh. Panthers eight and three and Saints eight and three. Let's start there. New Orleans might as well might as well root for the Saints, I guess, since you now have the head-to-head tiebreaker over them and get rid of the Panthers to the extent that you can. I, I would love it. I mean, as, as soon as you vanquish an opponent, you start to root for them, especially when it helps your positioning. Yeah. Um, and Carolina's done a pretty good job. Cam Newton um, hanging around. Um, but I think if you watch them as a whole. And dare I say this? I mean, if you have a one-game playoff against Cam Newton, you're nervous. But I, I think. I'd rather have New Orleans because you've already beaten them down the road. Uh, As for Eagles and Seahawks, I think we know where the Rams' rooting interests Mm -hmm. lie there, even though everyone in L.A. wants to take care of the Seattle Seahawks themselves in a couple of weeks. But nonetheless, uh, Eagles play back-to-back on the West Coast Hmm. at Seattle, and then here in Los Angeles they'll stay out in the West and practice. Um, Interested? I want to see what Seattle does when when Philadelphia has that much on the line. Can they play spoiler? Will they play spoiler? Well, and – Look, history, recent history tells us Seattle cannot possibly lose this many home primetime games because they just haven't. Unless you come to terms with the fact that the Seahawks are no longer the Seahawks. And whether it's Washington or Atlanta or maybe now the Eagles coming their way across country, they can no longer defend their home field the way that they used to be able to. No, uh, I think there's the, the boom is gone and the coverage is gone with Richard Sherman and some of their pride is gone. But, I mean, Russell Wilson is still there. Pete Carroll is still there. So they're still hanging on to what was. But we'll see what they do mm-hmm. against the, the recent juggernaut of the NFC. Opening segment of Rams All-Access, one more I want to double back to, mm-hmm. and that is Vikings at Falcons, which depending on – your vantage point, you either want to track down the Vikings, which is going to be extremely difficult, one, because of how they're playing, two, because of their tiebreaker advantages, or you can say, you know what, let the Vikings go. We wish them all the best. We've seen them. We know we can win in their environment based off of that game that we played there in November. Why not get rid of the Falcons, get them off the playoff bubble, because right now Matt Ryan and the Falcons seem to have found something, and they look dangerous. If I can avoid Julio Jones, so be it. Yeah, Yeah. and, uh, you know, it's funny. It's like my mom when – Washington played UCLA. She had sons on both sides, so she was just rooting for her sons. I'm rooting for Case Keenum. Not Minnesota, but I'm rooting for Case Keenum. That player of the month, 
perfect, great. I think he's played great football. But And I'm with Sean McVay and the players on this. I would love to see Minnesota one more time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and in their place would be great because I think you can win there. Maybe Minnesota and their fans don't think so, but I think we agree. I think you can win there. I think that locker yeah. room believes that they will oh, yeah. thrive in a second chance in that environment. I hope you get it. Rams lead the NFC West by game. Currently the number three seed in the NFC, a game behind number two Minnesota, whom they lost to, for a chance at a first-round bye. But this franchise right now breaks the season down to quarters. It's mm-hmm. a popular thing to do. Four-game mini-seasons. Mm-hmm. So far, first quarter, 3-1. and one. Second quarter, 3-1. and one. You win Sunday, you've got a chance at 3-1 and one again. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I think they've done a great job. And when I say they, I mean coaching staff starting from Sean McVay on down, Wade Phillips, taking it one game at a time, not getting too far ahead. Um, and really, really, I mean, not you don't see a lot of people talking about what's coming around the players, around the coaching staff, because you know what answer you're going to get. And I, I don't think it's just lip service. I think they really do believe it. It's one game at a time. So right now what's up is Arizona. Take care of that and then move on to the next. So uh, if that equates to 4-0 or 3-1 and or 2-2, two and two, whatever it is, it's still a one-game-at-a-time approach and trying to get better. And um, if you can hold that even through the – what I say, the crazy time when everyone loves you, when you start seeing more media than, you have, than you've seen at practice at any point during the regular season, still hold on to that one play, one game at a time mentality. Look, good things can happen for you. We'll talk to uh, Sean McVay about not getting caught up in that hype and extra coverage in our next segment, but let's finish this one with McVay on finishing the third quarter at Arizona. We talk about that. You know, the first two, like you mentioned, we're three and one. Uh, we end up getting the result that we want. That'll set us up to, to finish the third quarter three and one. And uh, just like in a normal regular season game, it's about finishing. And uh, right now we're kind of down the back stretch, but it's about making sure that with our 12th game coming up here, uh, we do a great job of trying to go 1-0 and this week. And, and that's going to be the focus and, and the mentality of our players as well. I, I try to finish everything. I, I t- I've taken that from right off the field from games and practice to my life. Everything. I don't care about making oatmeal. I try to finish strong. Even when it's easy and I can just turn the fire off, push the pot off and move, try to finish, try to go through everything 100%. Um, That's not just related to football. That's everything about you as a player. The Cardinals have some unfinished business. We'll talk to Josh Weinfuss, who covers their team, about the revenge factor after they were shut out by the Rams, 33 to nothing in London. We'll also go inside the numbers before we're done here on Rams All Access. But coming up, there are accusations that McVay and Goff are cheating. Their actions are immoral. They'll respond, and DeMarco will chime in. Coming up next on Rams All Access here on ESPN LA. That's what we said even at the beginning of the year. Hey, uh, you know, what you love so much about the NFL, great coverage, a lot of media coverage. You want nice things to be written, let's go win football games. And if not, then uh, we're not going to have nice things written about us. So uh, it's good. You're happy for the players because they've done a good job. And, and like I've said, you know, you sound monotonous, but I do believe that we as an organization, we as a coaching staff, as you know, as a team, believe that our best chance to, to put ourselves in a position to go 1-0 and this week is by taking things one day at a time. And I think that focus – that mindset and mentality has served us well through these first 11 weeks, and that's something that we're going to hopefully continue on uh, you know, moving towards the latter half of the season. That was Sean McVay with us on the Coach McVay Show on Monday nights at Cal Lutheran. Back with DeMarco Farr, J.B. Long in studio for this edition of Rams All Access Week 13. We invite you to see more and sit closer with Vivid Seats, an official partner of the Los Angeles Rams. Visit vividseats.com backslash Rams today and reserve your official ticket travel and VIP tailgate package to the next game. Next game, 
the Arizona Cardinals. That's where we're heading next. But before we get there, a little bit of controversy this week, at least according to Chris Sims, who went on national radio and accused McVay and the Rams and Goff of cheating that their actions using the comm system to audible from the head coach before the uh, the helmet set cuts off at 15 seconds on the play clock is, quote, immoral. <laughs> immoral? We've got McVay and Goff on that, but first I want to get uh, a Super Bowl champion on defense's response to those comments from Sims. I'm so, immoral? That might be a bit strong, don't you think? Is, is anything that they're doing against – the rules? no no is it anything that isn't available to every other team coaching quarterback in the league no, you're right it is and this is funny going all the way back to when you first pointed it out to us that's, to the, me. Fu- that's the funny thing about this is yeah. we've been talking about this since For, week two or three we've talked to mcveigh about it yeah he addresses it openly and i remember talking about it in camp and i was asked uh not to say anything because they're getting ready for you know the regular season that's a part of strategy they don't want out but i thought when you said it, I wonder how long this is going to go on before the NFL says, no, you can't do this anymore. Because, look, if it's available, why isn't everybody doing it? And I get you. It's your coach having an advantage over the defense. It's another set of eyes that he can change and call plays with your quarterback, not having to do much on the field. You know, not having that quarterback having to make all the decisions up until a certain period of time. So I wondered when that was going to be, I guess, squelched by the league. But it is what it is, man. I don't think it's immoral. Um, I think it's a little funny. It would make me want to rough your quarterback if you're doing that. I said this before to Sean McVay. Uh, if you're changing plays on me um, in that certain period of time through the headset, that would just infuriate me as a defense. Because, number one, you're trapping me on the field. I can't get off. I can't sub. And then you're picking and choosing where you want to attack based on what you see. Um, so it is. It's a part of the rules. It's a part of the game. I don't think it's immoral. It does make me feel for the defense a little bit. And, if you see guys giving the Rams the business, you know, after tackles, you probably understand why. But the middle linebacker can hear from his defensive coordinator up until the very same time. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I bet there's some gamesmanship going on. But, I mean, to be able to get in and out of plays, change plays, change direction of runs or passing size or passing strength, you know, while I'm standing there in front of you mm-hmm. with the head coach's input, I mean, that's hard. That's really hard to deal with. What's different, maybe, that the Rams yeah. are doing or slightly accentuated is not the fact that they're using the communication system up until 15 seconds on the snap clock, either through communication with the coach or the coordinator. It's that they're using tempo to yeah. get to the line where they have more of that time available to survey and adjust. But there's a downside to going no huddle and using tempo, too. If you don't hit on first or second down, if you get You're, off schedule, yeah. guess what? Your defense is paying the price. And we saw that, what, late in the third or the fourth when uh, this was a chance to ice the game and you went three and out. Their and penultimate like, drive, yeah. it took 123 off the clock with a double-digit lead. And you gave Breeze a chance to come back. With two and first downs. Yeah, and he did. And he almost, well, dare I say, he almost beat you. If, they don't, if, if Sammy Watkins doesn't recover that onside kick, I mean, wow. You could be in trouble there. Um, but but going back to that and how Sean McVay calls his offense, look, there's some coaching involved there. It's not immoral and it's not cheating. They have to work to be that mm-hmm. good to where you can do that without making mistakes. That means everyone's on the same page. The communication is top-notch. Jared Goff is able to process that information, disseminate it, and then run the play. There's a lot of great coaching with that, so don't – Boil it down to being immoral or cheating. That's just wrong. Is it infuriating? Absolutely. Cheating? No. I mean, part of the reason you hired McVay is so that he can 
instill these types of thoughts and adjustments and processes with a second-year quarterback who is still among the youngest starters in the National Football League. To think that the Rams would do anything but maximize the advantage that they have in having someone like McVay and also Olsen and LaFleur around Jared Goff Mm -hmm. is simply foolish. And I'll tell you the truest measure of whether or not this bothers other teams around the league is Bruce Arians. Because when Bruce Arians does not like something, you will hear about it. I'll tell you what he said, but first I want to give McVay and Goff a chance to comment. The experiences that I've had, uh, that's kind of been standard operating procedure. Like we've said, we're all a product of our experiences and environments we're placed in and you know, most important is it's about the players and if you've got players that like to be able to have some extra information great and they can always decipher whether they want to utilize it or not and the players that I've been around have liked that uh, but it is a part of the game and it's something that that we're utilizing in different ways and and we feel like it's the it's the best way for us and I think uh, I think Jared's done a great job with it this year they give us 25 seconds and 15 second mark it'll cut off and Sometimes he talks all the way up until 15 seconds. Sometimes he talks for five seconds. Sometimes he talks for 10 seconds. Um, It all varies. And just like every other quarterback in the league, it stops at 15 seconds and and we run the play. And Uh, that's it. Leave it at that. And just like every quarterback in the league in that respect, but uh, there are quarterbacks in the league. I can't imagine Aaron Rodgers is listening to chatter in his headset up until – he may have removed the earpiece in his helmet for all that we know. Right. Manning was the same way. Uh, by the way, remind me to ask you about Eli Manning before we're done. Um, but I did want to follow up with B.A. Arians, yeah, the coach yeah. that they'll face next. Of course, he was asked about it in light of Chris Sims' criticism. His quote, it's not the first time it's been done. Right. <laughs> What's the problem? Yeah, absolutely. I, do you remember when I asked, like, what would happen if Jared Goff shook you off? Talking, We were talking yes, to Sean McVay yes, yes. and his response to that. At some point, that's going to happen. The more he gets into this offense, the more responsibility and – I guess, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, uh, autonomy in the offense. At some point, he's going to shake off the coach. I got it. I know what I'm looking at. I know what you're looking at. I know what to do. And there'll, there'll be less talking from Sean McVay. But like he said, at some point, at, at various points of the game, it might be for five seconds. Sometimes it's ten, depending on how it's going and how Jared's playing. But that wasn't the criticism that Sims set forth. Uh, it right. was that it was immoral and that it was a form of cheating. If you want to discredit Goff in the season he's having is, hey, he probably doesn't deserve to be a Pro Bowl because he's he's running a system that feels like it has training wheels on it. He's getting single-sized reads. He has a bright mind in mm-hmm. his headset who's trying to help him audible, holding his hand at the line of scrimmage. Fine. But other people have said those things, and that's, that's neither here nor there. Right. But to say that they're doing something that is uh, creating an illegal competitive advantage, that undermines 8-3. and three. That's a whole different animal. Well, we usually poo-poo things we can't do. (laughs) And and so I asked the question, could could Sean McVay in Chris Sims' ear have turned him into a pro bowler? Just saying. Maybe, maybe not. Yeah, I I don't know. Uh, On on the more practical things with respect to McVay, Goff, and this offense, uh, they're going to have to handle Chandler Jones, who is leading the NFL in sacks this week. And I will also say the secondary for Arizona, as we know, far stronger than that of the New Orleans group that we saw when it was shorthanded Sunday at the Coliseum. Yes, uh, and I think it goes hand in hand. I mean, Chandler Jones is their bigger threat. 12 sacks, I think nine tackles for loss. Uh, This is a team that lives and dies by negative plays uh, getting into the backfield, and he's at the forefront of that. So uh, whenever you watch them, if he gets pressure or if he gets close to the quarterback, the ball comes out too quick and then the DBs look better. Uh, When he doesn't get pressure and it's man coverage, they still do a pretty good job of being in position, but 
when they have both tight coverage and pressure on the quarterback, oh my God, they look like a playoff defense. But more often than not, uh, he's the only threat. You can take away him through protection, and then they're exposed, and teams go right down the field. I think they've given up, uh, or one of the, they've given up a lot of big plays in the passing game, twenty plus yards. And that's all because when you do find a way to keep Chandler Jones out of the backfield or off your quarterback, you can find holes in that secondary. Well, you look at the teams they've played lately, going back now from Arizona. Mm -hmm. uh, If the Saints had had their corners up, it would have been, again, the perfect combination of Cam Jordan pass rush and then coverage in the back end. Yeah. Minnesota had it done and dialed in. Part of the reason they succeeded at getting to Goff. Um, but Andrew Whitworth quietly has started to scuffle just a little bit, a little bit. only by his very high Pro Bowl standard. Mm-hmm. And you talk to Sean McVay about what's it like when you're Whitworth and you finally give up a sack or two or a pressure or two to someone like Cam Jordan. He's been dealing with Everson Griffin. He's been dealing with Jadavion Clowney going back in previous weeks. Um, that stands out even if you do your job on the other 59 offensive snaps absolutely I mean look as a defensive lineman I only have to beat you once to get my name in the paper uh it's thankless that's what Sean McVay said about offensive linemen and if you look at how Cam, how Cam Jordan beat Whitworth I mean he muscled him he got into him and got the hands off got to the inside and got the sack it wasn't like Whitworth whiffed I mean it was just a guy that was just better than you on that play but after that before that absolutely stymied um kept him off the quarterback. So with the exception of a few plays, I think Whitworth had a great game. Um, I think the hold actually bothered him more than giving up the sack. Rarely penalized. Rarely penalized. I think I had him uh, only three penalties called against him in 2017. You want to talk about a perfectionist. Yeah. Anybody that's that old, and dare I say old because he's younger than me, but anybody that's got the guts to dress up as the character from Moana with no shirt on at that age, you're in shape, you're athletic, and you're a perfectionist. I do think it's something critical to watch going to Arizona this week, though, because they draw more false start penalties than any other home environment in the NFL, which is saying something because I don't think University of Phoenix Stadium is reputed as one of the most challenging road environments in football, but it is. And over the last few weeks, Goff has been sacked nine times in the last three after being sacked ten times in the first eight. So something there has changed. They are getting to Goff a little bit more. A little bit. Uh, and Goff's doing a, a better job at getting the heck out of the way, too, when protection breaks down. We'll switch sides and go on to the Rams defense and what they'll face in this new-look Arizona offense, which is captained by a new quarterback. That's when we continue on ESPN LA. This is Rams All Access. Welcome back to Rams All Access Week 13 edition. It's a trip to Glendale to take on the Cardinals. DeMarco Farr and JB Long with you to set the stage. Uh, yes, the Rams did defeat Arizona 33 to nothing in London earlier this season, but it's almost like DeMarco, they're playing a completely different team, especially a completely different offense with Blaine Gabbert set to make his third straight start. Yeah, uh, you look, they've improved since the last time we've seen them. I mean, that was their rock bottom in London. And since then, the offense and defense has played a little bit better. They look, Look, they're, they're trying to hang on to their identity when you watch them on offense and what they are with Adrian Peterson since, since October. Run first, pass second. Uh, you're going to see a lot less shotgun than you're used to seeing if you're on the Rams' defense. I mean, it's under center, and Adrian Peterson is attacking you. But since that day in London, uh, they've rededicated to running the football, trying to be a little bit tougher. And, you know, Drew Stanton uh, and, and, and Blaine Gabbert, I mean, what's the difference? One's taller. Um, one's a little bit more mobile. I don't know. I think, you like him better? I think yeah. Gabbard is onto something. You think? I think he is finally in a situation where he can thrive. If he gets a chance, 
here or elsewhere. Hopefully it's in Arizona for his sake because he's bounced around and had to deal with so many Mm -hmm. coaches and coordinators. But if if Arian stays put, we know that Fitzgerald is signed up for another year. If he can have some stability, we're going to ask Josh Weinfist next, who covers the Cardinals for ESPN and ESPN.com. They're talking about him potentially being the quarterback in the intermediate, if not the long-term future, depending on how they do in the draft. That doesn't shock me, and I would. I, I think in that equation, where is Adrian Peterson? Probably not with the football team. Yeah, I don't team. think so. He's and, down. His last three games, he's kind of yeah, fallen off. Yeah, I, I mean, he's he's still slugging it out. I mean, he's still that guy. Um, he's put it on the deck a few times. Um, but when you watch him, he's still got that same Adrian Peterson bounce to him. But the difference is, when you have Adrian Peterson as a quarterback, you're going to be under center. And that's going to limit what you can do in the passing game. So I think both quarterbacks are better in shotgun. But Adrian Peterson can't run out of shotgun. So whoever's back there with him is going to be a little bit limited and away from what they really want to do. You know me, it's that time in the week where I start to get some nerves and anxiety about one particular thing that's just sticking in my craw about what could go wrong. I hope we are not flying home from the greater Phoenix area saying, the worst mistake the Rams made all season was breaking Carson Palmer's arm. <laughs> because I, I think yeah. the Rams would prefer, if you could bring him back to full health, to face Carson Palmer on Sunday than Blaine Gabbard. And I know that's an odd thing to say. Yeah. Palmer, at this stage of his career, was a sitting duck. He was a statue yeah. back there against a team that is built to rush the passer and is built to puncture the pocket from the interior. He cannot get to the perimeter like Russell Wilson, like Drew Brees, like some other oh, quarterbacks no. who have given uh, the Rams trouble at times. Gabbert can. You go back to Monday Night Football against the San Francisco 49ers. Completely different team. I get it. A different era entirely. But in the back of my mind, I'm thinking Gabbert has that little juice to extend plays and give the Rams trouble if they don't get to him initially. Go back to the last two weeks with Gabbert at quarterback. I mean, you see him breaking contain a lot, and when he turns on the gas, I mean, he's leaving guys in the dust. Now, he's running for safety. He's heading towards the out-of-bounds. He's not attacking up the field Mm -hmm. like a Kaepernick would back in the day or a Wilson, but he can escape, turn on the Jets. He's a great athlete, better than Carson Palmer. I've seen him really, really have to work just to clear the tackle box to dead the football under pressure. So it's a little bit different with Blaine Gabbard. I get you with that. But, you know, in the pocket and with this offense and when they're trying to throw out play action, this is why I think Robert Quinn is probably going to have his best day of the season because this is a mid-'90s throwback offense. With a, with a tailback like Adrian Peterson, you're going to have to drop to seven off play action just to throw the ball down the field, which puts you in harm's way for Robert Quinn. The problem with Quinn, with some of these other, these other quarterbacks out of shotgun, they're setting up at five and moving up. Uh, and so he has to really run the track and then come back around just mm-hmm. to make a play. You're going to be in his wheelhouse when you drop back to pass. So I, I, I would bet that he tears that tackle a new one this Sunday uh, if they want to attack down the field. But Blaine Gabbert at quarterback, when you do get pressure, and he does pull it down to run, I agree with you there, he can flat-out move. I think he might be the better athlete of the three that you just mentioned, including Stanton and Carson Palmer, hands down. Throwing the football, I think Carson Palmer has it over him just a little bit more. But as far as total quarterback play and guys that can move, yeah, there's a new problem with Blaine Gabbert. Back to Quinn for a moment. Yeah. His other bracket at outside linebacker, Connor Barwin's going to miss a couple of weeks, fractured an arm, had a plate inserted. So Samson Abukam, a rookie, steps in to make the start against Arizona. You make a mistake on him, and he's going to be in the backfield in a blink. He's got that youthful exuberance I love. Um, he's a wide-eyed rookie when he's out there. He doesn't want to make a mistake, but the thing I love about him is – when he doesn't know, he relies on instinct and just flies up the field. 
And that's the best thing you can do as an outside linebacker defensive end in this game, in this defense. When you don't know, be five yards up the field. He's done that. So I'd rather you make an aggressive mistake than a passive one. And that guy's all aggression. So this will be nice to see him get some more meaningful ups, uh, probably start the game at outside linebacker. Let's see how he performs. All right, so Barwin down, Robert Woods we know down. The good news on the injury front is Malcolm Brown is working his way back and Nikel Roby Coleman is trending in good shape uh, to play on Sunday. Those are two big pieces, Brown especially, because it seems like we're getting to the point in the season where McVay and the Rams are actively managing Todd Gurley's touches. They said that they're actually saving him for third down and end-of-game situations. Played into a little bit of the logic behind why uh, Justin Davis was in there, but also Tavon was getting true running back touches against New Orleans. Uh, of the Bell Calbacks, the the I guess the high attempt guys. I think he's second only to Le'Veon Bell in attempts. Um, I think he has and in one, total yardage and in total NFL. yardage. Yep. he has one of the better yards for carry average. So uh, yeah, I I want to make sure I get him into December as energized as possible. So. Uh, that's why I thought you saw more Tavon last week, and you'll probably see a little more Malcolm if he's ready to go. Dunbar, if he's healthy. There'll be some reps taken there from Todd Gurley, but when it's crunch time in the fourth quarter to close you out, I want 30 carrying the rock, and I'm sure McVay feels the same way. And, believe it or not, in pass protection. Yeah. An obvious pass downs, third and long. <laughs> yeah. That's what they're saving him for because they trust him, and yeah. the others are a bit less proven when it comes to watching Goff's back. All right, we continue on Rams All-Access next with a look behind enemy lines. It's four-down territory. And before we're done, inside the numbers with a note on Jared Goff and a bit of Rams history. DeMarco Farr, JB Long with you. Week 13 edition of Rams All-Access on ESPN LA. All right, we continue with four-down territory. It's our weekly trip inside opponent's territory, and Josh Weinfist is... Uh, kind enough to join us with some of his time during a busy week as we prepare for Rams and Cardinals. Uh, let's start with Blaine Gabbert. Uh, is he the Cardinals quarterback of the future, potentially, Josh? You know, as of now, it sure looks like it. He's playing quite well. Bruce Arians is comfortable if he has to take on that role next season, should uh, Carson Palmer retire. Um, I think it's likely they'll probably draft a quarterback, but as of right now, it looks like he definitely could be that guy going forward. Uh, Josh covers the Cardinals for ESPN and ESPN.com. It looks like Adrian Peterson's numbers are down a bit over the last three games, and Kerwin Williams is injured. What's the status, Josh, of the Arizona backfield? Oh, man, if I knew that answer right now, I'd be making a lot more money doing something else. You have Kerwin Williams has cracked ribs. Um, he's been out practicing, so he's trying to tough through that, but we all know how painful that could be, especially for a running back. Adrian Peterson has a neck injury, so we don't know his status just yet. Then if you go beyond those two, you're looking at guys like Eli Penny and DJ Foster. So this backfield could be pretty beat up heading into Sunday. Uh, One thing Gabbard has going for him, if not the tailbacks, is his chemistry with Ricky Seals-Jones, who has blown up over these last couple of weeks. And uh, I understand, Josh, he became a father this week in addition. Yeah, he missed yesterday's practice. Um, on, on Wednesday to attend to the birth of his child. We're still waiting to hear if it's a boy or girl, but uh, it seems to be kind of the, the, the part of the perfect storm for him right now. He's had a great year, um, three touchdowns in his last two games. He has that chemistry from throwing and playing with Blaine Gabbert on the Cardinals scout team. So they just carry that over to the active roster and onto the field, and you can just see how well and how comfortable they are with each other with how well both of them are playing. Uh, Josh Weinfuss is a great source for all things Cardinals. He covers them for ESPN and ESPN.com. We continue with our final question on four-down territory. Josh, is there any sense that you get from being around the team that payback is on their mind for that 33 to nothing shutout in London? Oh, absolutely. I mean, this team felt they were embarrassed 
in London. Um, a lot of it had to do with themselves. They just didn't come ready to play that game, but obviously the Rams looked very good uh, at Twickenham. They want to beat them. They want to make up for that game. They obviously know this is a big game in the standings because the Rams are leading the West. But, yeah, they definitely have that 33-0 to beating in the back of their mind, no doubt. It's supposed to be four-down territory. I've used up my allotment of questions, but, Josh, I can't let you go without asking about Chandler Jones and the season that he's having. Man, it's it, you can tell that he – first off, he doesn't want that contract, the big extension that he signed, affect him. And you can tell that he's – He's, he, what he learned last year in, in this defense is just carried over to this year. He feels more comfortable in the scheme, feels more comfortable with his standing in the locker room. He's definitely more of a leader this year. And he's lost some weight, and that's really – it's pretty evident with how athletic he looks um, on the field coming off the edge. He's still powerful. He's still strong, but he's a little bit leaner now, and he's, and he's definitely more of a, a, a trouble for, for tackle, that's for sure. Uh, Josh, really appreciate you carving out some time for us, and we look forward to seeing you in Glendale on Sunday. Thanks for having me. The Arizona Cardinals in the midst of a three-game homestand. That hasn't happened for them in their franchise history since 2011. They also host Tennessee next week. I mentioned leveraging the noise. The Cardinals' opponents have accumulated 155 false start penalties, the most for any home team in the NFL, DeMarco. So when you talk about dealing with Chandler Jones, uh, he might get some good get-off, and the Rams are not going to be able to leverage their snap count to get the free fives like we've seen them do. I, I really respect him, his game, and I bet a lot of those false starts have to do with him because he's forcing the issue. Whatever tackle he's on, uh, he's going to start to lean forward, and the first thing you're going to think, this guy's going to run by me. And there's enough tape to prove that he can. He's got great body lean. So if you don't beat him to that four-yard mark, to when he puts that right foot on the ground, to where he starts to dip, you won't get him. You won't even get a hand on him. So most tackles think, I've got to jump out of here. And you might forget the snap count. You might be a little bit early. I mean, it is loud down there. You have to give them credit. It's not as loud as, say, up in Seattle, but it's loud. It's home. It's a dome. So uh, you'll have some issues with communication, and you'll have issues blocking him. So no shock, he's pulling guys out of their shoes. But, I mean, when you watch him, man, I love it when guys have that controlled fury to where they can be as wild or as maverick as possible to get into the backfield or around the corner, but never violate the integrity of the defense. He plays his responsibility to the hilt but he's also good enough to make plays. He'll make you pay for mistakes. No Cardinals player has ever led the National Football League in sacks like Jones is on track to do, and he has at least one sack in all four of his career games against the Los Angeles Rams. How about that payback motivation? I'm sure you've been in a situation where you've been embarrassed on the front end of a back-to-back series and come back in a big way in the second game, the rematch, uh, knowing Bruce Arians as we do. Uh, We saw him get payback against Mm -hmm. uh, Jeff Fisher wasn't there, but you knew he wanted to send a message to Fisher and his staff uh, last year at the Coliseum. How much of a factor is that in a game like this? Well, it depends on how good the other team is, and I think the Rams are pretty good. And they just, let's be honest, I think they're just better than the Cardinals right now, roster-wise and the way they're playing. Uh, I think that speaks, uh, the record speaks to that, and the the stats speak to that, and, and the film speaks to that, so... I remember, like, really wanting to get revenge against the 49ers, and it took me four years to do it. Hmm. Yeah, I'm re- I really. I mean, so just was... the want to is not always enough no, on a No, I mean, NFL of course. Sunday. Every team wants to win. No one wants to lose. No one wants to get embarrassed, and you want to get some get back. But, look, it, 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 between the white lines, it's the ultimate truth. It, no matter how much you want it, if they're better, it doesn't matter. Uh, that stadium has been sold out ever since it opened, I believe in 2006. I'll check on that as we talk here. But uh, I wonder if they're savvy enough to bring it for a full 
play clock. Because some of what McVeigh and Goff are doing, right, is getting to the line early in road environments, and the crowd is at a fever pitch, but the play clock's at like 28, 27. And how can you sustain it all the way down to the snap when it actually is cadence time? Um, Good luck. But, but if that's <laughs> yeah. the topic of not just this matchup, but across the NFL this week is, hey, McVeigh and Goff are, are using this, leveraging this to their advantage. I wonder if the home crowd in Arizona can counter some of that the way that Minneapolis did. There's no way. You, you can't time up your crowd noise to when he's snapping the football. It's impossible. I used to think that hurrying up to the line and audibling and using the entire play clock was to burn the defense, the mm-hmm. defensive line in particular. Leaving them in their stance for an, an extended period of time limits their get-off. But when McVeigh said, we're doing it to limit crowd noise, wow, it's genius because you don't know when to get loud. <laughs> uh, you heard what Josh said there, just to flip sides and talk a bit of offense before we go to our final segment. Adrian Peterson, not sure yet if he'll go. Kerwin Williams, can you possibly play against Aaron Donald and Alec Ogletree with cracked ribs? Well, I mean, if you want the job finished. Because <laughs> otherwise you could be seeing a combination of Elijah Penny and DJ yeah. Foster. And you can play. I mean, you can wear a flak jacket, but, I mean, it's going to limit some of your ability. And, look, if you're worried about protecting yourself, that's a running back I want on the field. Yeah, Bronson Hill elevated yeah. from the practice squad this week to give them some added running back depth just in case. How about Ricky Seals-Jones? Uh, became a father this week, undrafted rookie out of A&M, a teammate of Josh Reynolds, uh, who had his first career touchdown reception last week. But a cousin of of Hall of Fame running back Eric Dickerson won. Wow. So an interesting connection to the Rams. And he's got seven catches, 126, and three touchdowns exploding onto the scene for the Cardinals in the last two games. He has good chemistry through scout team reps with Blaine Gabbard, it turns out. It looks like it. I mean, some of the one of the touchdowns in particular, it he wasn't open, but Gabbard knew that he could get it and high-pointed the football and went up and stabbed it out of the air. It looked like he's done it all year long. So... He's a big body. Um, he's got great hands. And like you said, the quarterback knows how to find him. So, you know, Gresham is sneaky good. This is another problem for defenses to have to figure out. But you can limit that guy going down the field by getting pressure on Blaine Gabbert. You know that. That's been his M.O. But to see that emergence, no shock. And, oh, by the way, they have the all-time Rams tormentor in Larry Fitzgerald. Oh, boy. Who has Everybody. signed yet another one-year contract extension. <laughs> Final segment of Rams all X is coming up. We'll go inside the numbers, and I want to get to Marco's thoughts on what transpired with the Giants and Eli Manning, a future Hall of Famer this week. We'll pause here. Rams all Access, ESPN LA. All right, since Jared Goff caught some flack this week from Chris Sims for taking tips in his helmet from Sean McVay, I wanted to give you something Goff-related on Inside the Numbers. With 36 yards passing on Sunday, he will reach 3,000 yards on the season. He'll become the first Rams quarterback to do that since Sam Bradford 2012 and the quickest to reach the 3,000-yard mark in a season since Mark Bulger 2006, who also accomplished the feat in 12 games. And do you know who he hit 3,000 against back in 2006? Let me guess, the Cardinals? There you go. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. Uh, really like this uh, bite from Coach McVay uh, during our coaches show on Monday about the progress Goff has made in terms of conceptualizing what they're trying to accomplish on offense. He truly has become an extension of our coaching staff. I think when you talk about understanding the intent of these plays that we're running, why are we running this, not just what is this, uh, that's when you give yourself a chance to execute at a high level. But I think just the experience that he's gained and then being receptive to correcting from some of the things we have to be better and then also kind of 
putting those things in the bank for when I've done a, well, a good job on it. Let's make sure when I see this again, I'm able to execute at a high level as well. So you see the confidence growing. You see the ownership. You look at the amount of times we threw it yesterday, and that's a credit to the confidence we have in Jared. And part of that confidence at taking care of the football. Ten touchdowns, no interceptions away from the Coliseum this year on the road. True road games. He's the only quarterback yet to throw a pick. Uh, Huge key for Sunday. Obviously, want to give you a chance to chime in on Goff, and then I'll follow up with Eli Manning. Well, just real quick, in the locker room after the games, when I see Goff now, it looks like he's mentally tired, like he just took two SATs. Last season, it looked like he was just getting out of the octagon, like he was really beat up and bruised. This year, it's like, wow. That's awesome, by the way. There was a lot that was going on with him, and he just looks like he needs a mental break. Um, that That's the good thing. I mean, like, tired after the game. Like, he's really, really executed well, so... Uh, it's the difference in him and the difference in the offense, definitely difference in coaching. Re- remind us of that on Sunday, will you? Okay. SATs and Octagon. Uh, he's vanquished some future Hall of Fame quarterbacks, most recently Drew Brees, Eli Manning in New York a couple weeks ago. Uh, reaction around the NFL from those who have played this game is that the Giants did Eli dirty. Your thoughts? I agree, man. Uh, the first thing I said was Manning overboard. Um, it seems like Captain McAdoo is just – He's had enough of the mutiny, or he's had two this season. Uh, the team has turned against, turned against him, turned on him. The media has. So the first thing you do is throw Eli overboard. And I, I think that's it wasn't fair. If you look at their film and their offensive uh, tape, it's not Eli. That's the problem. Uh, it's the system and the guys he has catching passes on the other end. It's not him. So, uh, But you can't bench Eli without approval from above. So mm-hmm. I think this is bigger than what we know. I liked Philip Rivers, uh, who obviously has mm-hmm. a ton of deep history with Eli Manning going back to how they wound up with their respective franchises, uh, sounding off, and mm-hmm. perhaps sending an early message to his ownership and his head coach don't think about treating me the same way when my time comes. Well, if Geno doesn't work out and Webb fails, I mean, do you go back to Eli? Uh, Eli's going south. I, he's, that, go, he's going down to Tom Coughlin territory. I, right? I agree. Or, you know, or look out for Denver. Huh? Oh, he does it again. <laughs> could be interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, when we talk to you next, the Rams are going to be trying to secure their first winning season as a franchise since 2003. Have a great rest of your week. We will join you. Sunday afternoon from Glendale, DeMarco Farr, J.B. Long. This has been Rams All Access Week 13 edition on ESPN LA.